When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road and Agatha Christie's The Murder of Roger Ackroyd. This is your host, John Hagedorn. I was to have a further proof that day of the success of Poirot's tactics. That challenge of his had been a subtle touch born of his knowledge of human nature. A mixture of fear and guilt had wrung the truth from Mrs. Ackroyd. She was the first to react. That afternoon, when I returned from seeing my patients, Caroline told me that Geoffrey Raymond had just left. "'Did he want to see me?' I asked, as I hung up my coat in the hall. Caroline was hovering by my elbow. "'It was Monsieur Poirot he wanted to see,' she said. "'He'd just come from the larches. Monsieur Poirot was out. Mr. Raymond thought that he might be here, or that you might know where he was.' "'I haven't the least idea.' "'I tried to make him wait,' said Caroline, "'but he said he would call back at the larches in half an hour, and went away down in the village.' A great pity, because Monsieur Poirot came in practically the minute after he left. Came in here? No, to his own house. How do you know? The side window, said Caroline briefly. It seemed to me that we had now exhausted the topic. Caroline thought otherwise. Aren't you going across? Across where? To the larches, of course. My dear Caroline, I said. "'What for?' "'Mr. Raymond wanted to see him very particularly,' said Caroline. "'You might hear what it's all about.' I raised my eyebrows. "'Curiosity is not my besetting sin,' I remarked coldly. "'I can exist comfortably without knowing exactly what my neighbors are doing and thinking.' "'Stuff and nonsense, James,' said my sister. "'You want to know just as much as I do. "'You're not so honest.' "'You always have to pretend.' "'Really, Caroline,' I said, and retired into my surgery. Ten minutes later, Caroline tapped at the door and entered. In her hand, she held what seemed to be a pot of jam. "'I wonder, James,' she said, "'if you would mind taking this pot of meddler jelly across to Monsieur Poirot. "'I promised it to him. "'He has never tasted any homemade meddler jelly.' "'Why can't Annie go?' I asked coldly. She's doing some mending. I can't spare her. Caroline and I looked at each other. Very well, I said, rising. But if I take the beastly thing, 
"'I shall just leave it at the door. "'Do you understand that?' "'My sister raised her eyebrows. "'Naturally,' she said. "'Who suggested you should do anything else?' "'The honors were with Caroline. "'If you do happen to see Monsieur Borrow, she said, "'as I opened the front door, "'you might tell him about the boots.' "'It was a most subtle parting shot. "'I wanted dreadfully to understand the enigma of the boots.' When the old lady with the Breton cap opened the door to me, I found myself asking if Monsieur Poirot was in quite automatically. Poirot sprang up to meet me with every appearance of pleasure. Sit down, my good friend, he said. The big chair, this small one. The room is not too hot, no? I thought it was stifling, but refrained from saying so. The windows were closed, and a large fire burned in the grate. The English people, they have a mania for the fresh air, declared Poirot. The big air, it is all very well outside, where it belongs. Why admit it to the house? But let us not discuss such banalities. You have something for me, yes? Two things, I said. First, this, from my sister. I handed over the pot of medlar jelly. How kind of Mademoiselle Caroline! She has remembered her promise. And the second thing? Information, of a kind. And I told him of my interview with Mrs. Ackroyd. He listened with interest, but not much excitement. It clears the ground, he said thoughtfully, and it has a certain value as confirming the evidence of the housekeeper. She said, you remember, that she found the silver table lid open and closed it down in passing. "'What about her statement that she went into the drawing-room "'to see if the flowers were fresh?' "'Ah, we never took that very seriously, did we, my friend? "'It was patently an excuse, trumped up in a hurry, "'by a woman who felt it urgent to explain her presence, "'which, by the way, you would probably never have thought of questioning. "'I considered it possible that her agitation might arise "'from the fact that she had been tampering with the silver table.' "'but I think now that we must look for another cause.' "'Yes,' I said. "'Whom did she go out to meet, and why?' "'You think she went out to meet someone?' "'I do.' Poirot nodded. "'So do I,' he said thoughtfully. "'There was a pause. "'By the way,' I said, "'I've got a message for you from my sister. "'Ralph Patone's boots were black, not brown.' I was watching him closely as I gave the message, and I fancied that I saw a momentary flicker of discomposure. If so, it passed almost immediately. She is absolutely positive they are not brown? Absolutely. Ah, said Borrow, regretfully. That is a pity. And he seemed quite crestfallen. He entered into no explanations but at once started a new subject of conversation. The housekeeper, Miss Russell, who came to consult you on that Friday morning, is it indiscreet to ask what passed at the interview, apart from the medical details, I mean? Not at all, I said. When the professional part of the conversation was over, we talked for a few minutes about poisons and the ease or difficulty of detecting them, and about drug-taking, and drug takers. We had special reference to cocaine? asked Poirot. 
"'How did you know?' I asked, somewhat surprised. For answer, the little man rose and crossed the room to where newspapers were filed. He brought me a copy of the Daily Budget, dated Friday, September 16th, and showed me an article dealing with the smuggling of cocaine. It was a somewhat lurid article, written with an eye to picturesque effect. "'That is what put cocaine into her head, my friend,' he said. I would have catechized him further, for I did not quite understand his meaning, but at that moment the door opened, and Geoffrey Raymond was announced. He came in fresh and debonair as ever, and greeted us both. "'How are you, doctor? Monsieur Borrow, this is the second time I've been here this morning. I was anxious to catch you.' Uh, "'Perhaps I'd better be off,' I suggested rather awkwardly. "'Not on my account, doctor. No, it's just this,' he went on, seating himself at a wave of invitation from Borrow. "'I've got a confession to make.' "'En vérité?' said Poirot, with an air of polite interest. "'Oh, it's of no consequence, really. But, as a matter of fact, my conscience has been pricking me ever since yesterday afternoon. You accused us all of keeping back something, Monsieur Poirot. I plead guilty. I've had something up my sleeve. And what is that, Monsieur Raymond? As I say, it's nothing of consequence. Just this. I was in debt, badly.' "'and that legacy came in the nick of time. Five hundred pounds puts me on my feet again "'with a little despair.' "'He smiled at us both with that engaging frankness "'that made him such a likable youngster. "'You know how it is, suspicious-looking policeman. "'You don't want to admit you're hard up for money? "'Think it would look bad to them? "'But I was a fool, really, "'because Blunt and I were in the billiard room "'from a quarter to ten onwards, "'so I've got a watertight alibi and nothing to fear. Still. When you thundered out that stuff about concealing things, I felt a nasty prick of conscience, and I thought I'd like to get it off my mind. He got up again and stood smiling at us. "'You are a very wise young man,' said Poirot, nodding at him with approval. "'See you. When I know that anyone is hiding things from me, I suspect that the thing hidden may be something very bad indeed. You have done well.' "'I'm glad I'm cleared from suspicion, then.' "'laughed Raymond. "'I'll be off now.' "'So that is that?' "'I remarked, "'as the door closed behind the young secretary. "'Yes,' agreed Poirot. "'A mere bagatelle. "'But if he had not been in the billiard room, "'who knows? "'After all, "'many crimes have been committed "'for the sake of less than five hundred pounds. "'It all depends on what sum is sufficient "'to break a man. "'A question of the relativity.' Is it not so? Have you reflected, my friend, that many people in that house stood to benefit by Mr. Ackroyd's debt? Mrs. Ackroyd, Miss Flora, young Mr. Raymond, the housekeeper, Miss Russell. Only one, in fact, does not. Major Blunt. His tone in uttering that name was so peculiar that I looked up, puzzled. I, I don't quite understand you. I said. Two of the people I accused have given me the truth. You think Major Blunt has something to conceal as well? As for that, remarked Poirot nonchalantly, there is a saying, is there not, that Englishmen conceal only one thing, their love. 
and Major Blunt, I should say, is not good at concealments. Sometimes, I said, I wonder if we haven't rather jumped to conclusions on one point. What is that? We've assumed that the blackmailer of Mrs. Ferrars is necessarily the murderer of Mr. Ackroyd. Mightn't we be mistaken? Poirot nodded energetically. Very good. Very good indeed. I wonder if that idea would come to you. Of course it is possible. But we must remember one point. The letter disappeared. Still, that, as you say, may not necessarily mean that the murderer took it. When you first found the body, Parker may have abstracted the letter unnoticed by you. Parker? Yes, Parker. I always come back to Parker, not as the murderer. No, he did not commit the murder. But who is more suitable than he as the mysterious scoundrel who terrorized Mrs. Farrar's? He may have got his information about Mr. Farrar's death from one of King Paddock's servants. At any rate, he is more likely to have come upon it than a casual guest such as Blunt, for instance. Parker might have taken the letter, I admitted. It wasn't until later that I noticed it was gone. How much later? After Blunt and Raymond were in the room? Or before? Ah, I can't remember, I said slowly. I think it was before. No, afterwards. Yes, I'm almost sure it was afterwards. That widens the field to three, said Poirot thoughtfully. But Parker is the most likely. It is in my mind to try a little experiment with Parker. How say you, my friend? Will you accompany me to Fernley? I acquiesced, and we set out at once. Poirot asked to see Miss Ackroyd, and presently Flora came to us. Mademoiselle Flora, said Poirot, I have to confide in you a little secret. I am not yet satisfied of the innocence of Parker. I propose to make a little experiment with your assistance. I want to reconstruct some of his actions on that night. But we must think of something to tell him. Ah, I have it. I wish to satisfy myself as to whether voices in the little lobby could have been heard outside on the terrace. Now, ring for Parker, if you'll be so good. I did so, and presently the butler appeared, suave as ever. Yes, my good Parker, I have in mind a little experiment. I have placed Major Blunt on the terrace outside the study window. I want to see if anyone there could have heard the voices of Miss Ackroyd and yourself in the lobby that night. I want to enact that little scene over again. Perhaps you would fetch the tray, or whatever it was you were carrying. Parker vanished, and we repaired to the lobby outside the study door. Presently we heard a chink in the outer hall, and Parker appeared in the doorway, carrying a tray with a siphon, a decanter of whiskey, and two glasses on it. "'One moment!' cried Poirot, raising his hand, and seemingly very excited. "'We must have everything in order, just as it occurred. It is a little method of mine.' "'A foreign custom, sir,' said Parker. "'A reconstruction of the crime, they call it. Do they not?' He was quite imperturbable as he stood there politely waiting on Poirot's orders. "'Ah, he knows something, the good Parker,' cried Poirot. "'He has read of these things. 
Now, I beg you, let us have everything of the most exact. You came from the outer hall, so Mademoiselle was where? Here, said Flora, taking up her stand just outside the study door. Quite right, sir, said Parker. I had just closed the door, continued Flora. Yes, miss, agreed Parker. Your hand was still on the handle as it is now. Then, allez, said Poirot, play me the little comedy. Flora stood with her hand on the door handle, and Parker came stepping through the door from the hall, bearing the tray. He stopped just inside the door. Flora spoke. Oh, Parker, Mr. Ackroyd doesn't want to be disturbed again tonight. Is that right? she added in an undertone. "'To the best of my recollection, Miss Flora,' said Parker, "'but I fancy you used the word evening instead of night.' Then, raising his voice in a somewhat theatrical fashion, "'Very good, miss. Shall I lock up as usual?' "'Yes, please.' Parker retired to the door, Flora followed him, and started to ascend the main staircase. "'Is that enough?' she asked over her shoulder." "'Admirable!' declared the little man, rubbing his hands. "'By the way, Parker, are you sure there were two glasses on the tray that evening? "'Who was the second one for?' "'I always bring two glasses, sir,' said Parker. "'Is there anything further?' "'Nothing, I thank you.' Parker withdrew, dignified to the last. Poirot stood in the middle of the hall, frowning. Flora came down and joined us. "'Has your experiment been successful?' she asked. "'I don't quite understand.' Poirot smiled admiringly at her. "'It is not necessary that you should,' he said. "'But tell me, were there indeed two glasses on Parker's tray that night?' Flora wrinkled her brows a minute. "'I really can't remember,' she said. "'I think there were. Is—is is that the object of your experiment?' Poirot took her hand and patted it. "'Put it this way,' he said. "'I am always interested to see if people will speak the truth.' "'And did Parker speak the truth?' "'I rather think he did,' said Poirot, thoughtfully. A few minutes later saw us retracing our steps to the village. "'What was the point of that question about the glasses?' I asked curiously. Poirot shrugged his shoulders. "'One must say something,' he remarked. "'That particular question did as well as any other.' I stared at him. "'At any rate, my friend,' he said more seriously, "'I now know something I wanted to know. "'Let us leave it at that.' "'We'll return with Chapter 16, "'right after these sponsor messages.' Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. 
And now, Chapter 16, An Evening at Mahjong. That night we had a little mahjong party. This kind of simple entertainment is very popular in King's Abbot. The guests arrive in galoshes and waterproofs after dinner. They partake of coffee and later of cake, sandwiches, and tea. On this particular night, our guests were Miss Gannett and Colonel Carter, who lives near the church. A good deal of gossip is handed round at these evenings, sometimes seriously interfering with the game in progress. We used to play bridge, chatty bridge of the worst description. We find Mahjong much more peaceful. The irritated demand as to why on earth your partner did not lead a certain card is entirely done away with, and though we still express criticisms frankly, there is not the same acrimonious spirit. "'Very cold evening, eh, Shepard?' said Colonel Carter, standing with his back to the fire. Caroline had taken Miss Gannett to her own room, and was there assisting her to disentangle herself from her many wraps. "'Reminds me of the Afghan passes.' "'Indeed,' I said politely. "'Very mysterious business about this poor Aykroyd,' continued the Colonel, accepting a cup of coffee. "'A deuce of a lot behind it. That's what I say. Between you and me, Shepard, I've heard the word blackmail mentioned. The colonel gave me the look which might be tabulated one man of the world to another. A woman in it, no doubt, he said. Depend on it, a woman in it. Caroline and Miss Gannett joined us at this minute. Miss Gannett drank coffee while Caroline got out the mahjong box and poured out the tiles upon the table. Washing the tiles, said the colonel facetiously. That's right, "'Washing the tiles, as we used to say in the Shanghai Club.' "'It is the private opinion of both Caroline and myself "'that Colonel Carter has never been in the Shanghai Club in his life. "'More, that he has never been farther east than India, "'where he juggled with tins of bully beef and plum and apple jam "'during the Great War. "'But the Colonel is determinedly military, "'and in King's Abbot we permit people to indulge "'their little idiosyncrasies freely.' "'Shall we begin?' "'said Caroline. "'We sat round the table. "'For some five minutes there was complete silence, "'owing to the fact that there is tremendous secret competition amongst us "'as to who can build their wall quickest. "'Go on, James,' said Caroline at last. "'Your east wind.' "'I discarded a tile. "'A round or two proceeded, "'broken by the monotonous remarks of three bamboos, two circles, pong, "'and frequently from Miss Gannett,' Unpong, owing to that lady's habit of too hastily claiming tiles to which she had no right. "'I saw Flora Ackroyd this morning,' said Miss Gannett. "'Pong, no, umpong. I made a mistake.' Four circles,' said Caroline. "'Where did you see her?' "'She didn't see me,' said Miss Gannett, with that tremendous significance only to be met with in small villages. "'Ah,' said Caroline, interestedly. Chow. I believe, said Miss Gannett, temporarily diverted, that it is the right thing nowadays to say chi, not chow. Nonsense, said Caroline. I've always said chow. In the Shanghai Club, said Colonel Carter, they say chow. Miss Gannett retired, crushed. What were you saying about Flora Ackroyd? asked Caroline. "'after a moment or two devoted to the game. 
Was she with anyone?' "'Very much so,' said Miss Gannett. "'The eyes of the two ladies met "'and seemed to exchange information.' "'Really?' said Caroline interestedly. "'Is that it? "'Well, it doesn't surprise me in the least.' "'We're waiting for you to discard, Miss Caroline,' said the colonel. "'He sometimes affects the pose of the bluff male, "'intent on the game and indifferent to gossip. "'But nobody is deceived.' "'If you ask me,' said Miss Gannett. "'Was that a bamboo you discarded, dear?' "'Oh, no. I see now. It was a circle. "'As I was saying, if you ask me, "'Flora's been exceedingly lucky. "'Exceedingly lucky she's been.' "'How's that, Miss Gannett?' asked the colonel. "'I'll pung that green dragon. "'How do you make out that Miss Flora's been lucky? "'Very charming girl and all that, I know.' "'I know.' "'I made know very much about crime,' said Miss Gannett, "'with the air of one who knows everything there is to know. "'But I can tell you one thing. "'The first question that's always asked is, "'Who last saw the deceased alive? "'And the person who did is regarded with suspicion.' Now, now, Flora Ackroyd last saw her uncle alive. It might have looked very nasty for her. Very nasty indeed. It's my opinion, and I give it for what it's worth, that Ralph Patton is staying away on her account to draw suspicion away from her. Come now, I protested mildly. You surely can't suggest that a young girl like Flora Ackroyd is capable of stabbing her uncle in cold blood? Well, I don't know. "'said Miss Gannett. "'I've just been reading a book from the library "'about the underworld of Paris, "'and it says that some of the worst women criminals "'are young girls with the faces of angels.' "'That's in France,' said Caroline instantly. "'Just so,' said the colonel. "'Now I'll tell you a very curious thing, "'a story that was going round the bazaars in India.' "'The colonel's story was one of interminable length "'and of curiously little interest.' A thing that happened in India many years ago cannot compare for a moment with an event that took place in King's Abbot the day before yesterday. It was Caroline who brought the colonel's story to a close by fortunately going mahjong. After the slight unpleasantness always occasioned by my corrections of Caroline's somewhat faulty arithmetic, we started a new hand. "'East wind passes,' said Caroline. "'I've got an idea of my own about Ralph Paton. Three characters.' "'but I'm keeping it to myself for the present.' "'Are you, dear?' said Miss Gannett. "'Chow, I mean, Pong.' "'Yes,' said Caroline firmly. "'Was it all right about the boots?' asked Miss Gannett. "'They're being black, I mean.' "'Quite all right,' said Caroline. "'What was the point, do you think?' asked Miss Gannett. Caroline pursed up her lips "'and shook her head with an air of knowing all about it. "'Pong!' said Miss Gannett. Uh, "'No, unpong. "'I suppose that now the doctor's in with Monsieur Poirot, "'he knows all the secrets?' "'Far from it,' I said. "'James is so modest,' said Caroline. "'Ah, a concealed Kong!' "'The colonel gave vent to a whistle. "'For the moment, gossip was forgotten. "'Your own wind, too!' he said. And you've got two pungs of dragons. We must be careful. Miss Caroline's out for a big hand. We played for some minutes with no irrelevant conversation. 
"'This Monsieur Boirot, now,' said Colonel Carter. "'Is he really such a great detective?' "'The greatest the world has ever known,' said Caroline solemnly. "'He had to come here incognito to avoid publicity.' "'Ciao,' said Miss Gannett. "'Quite wonderful for a little village, I'm sure. "'By the way, Clara, my maid, you know, "'is great friends with Elsie, the housemaid at Fernley.' "'And what do you think Elsie told her? "'That there's been a lot of money stolen, "'and it's her opinion, Elsie's, I mean, "'that the parlor-maid had something to do with it. "'She's leaving at the month, "'and she's crying a good deal at night. "'If you ask me, "'the girl is very likely in league with a gang. "'She always has been a queer girl. "'She's not friends with any of the girls round here. "'She goes off by herself on her days out. "'Very unnatural, I call it. "'and most suspicious. "'I asked her once to come to our girls' friendly evenings, "'but she refused. "'And then I asked her a few questions about her home and her family, "'all that sort of thing, "'and I'm bound to say I considered her manner most impertinent. "'Outwardly very respectful, "'but she shut me up in the most barefaced way.' "'Miss Gannett stopped for breath, "'and the colonel, who was totally uninterested in the servant question, "'remarked that in the Shanghai Club... "'Brisk play was the invariable rule. "'So we had a round of brisk play. "'That Miss Russell,' said Caroline, "'she came here pretending to consult James on Friday morning. "'It's my opinion she wanted to see where the poisons were kept. Five characters. "'Chow!' said Miss Gannett. "'What an extraordinary idea. "'I wonder if you can be right.' "'Talking of poisons,' said the Colonel. "'Eh, what?' "'Haven't I discarded, oh, eight bamboos?' "'Mahjong,' said Miss Gannett. "'Caroline was very much annoyed. "'One red dragon,' she said regretfully, "'and I should have had a hand of three doubles. "'I've had two red dragons all the time,' I mentioned. "'So exactly like you, James,' said Caroline reproachfully. "'You've no conception of the spirit of the game.' "'I myself thought I'd play rather cleverly. "'I should have had to pay Caroline an enormous amount "'if she had gone mahjong. "'Miss Gannett's mahjong was of the poorest variety possible, "'as Caroline did not fail to point out to her. "'East wind passed, and we started a new hand in silence. "'What I was going to tell you just now was this,' said Caroline. "'Yes,' said Miss Gannett, encouragingly. "'My idea about Ralph Batone, I mean.' "'Yes, dear,' said Miss Gannett, still more encouragingly. "'Chow! It's a sign of weakness to chow so early,' said Caroline severely. "'You should go for a big hand.' "'I know,' said Miss Gannett. "'You were saying about Ralph Patone?' "'Yes. Well, I've a pretty shrewd idea where he is.' We all stopped to stare at her. "'This is very interesting, Miss Caroline.' "'said Colonel Carter. "'All your own idea, eh?' "'Well, not exactly. "'I'll tell you about it. "'You know that big map of the county we have in the hall?' "'We all said yes. "'As Monsieur Poirot was going out the other day, "'he stopped and looked at it, "'and he made a remark. "'I can't remember exactly what it was. "'Something about Cranchester being the only big town anywhere near us. "'Which is true, of course. "'But after he had gone, it came to me suddenly.' "'What came to you?' "'His meaning. "'Of course,' 
Ralph was in Cranchester. It was at that moment that I knocked down the rack that held my pieces. My sister immediately reproved me for clumsiness, but half-heartedly. She was intent on her theory. "'Granchester, Miss Caroline?' said Colonel Carter. "'Surely not Cranchester. It's so near.' "'That's exactly it,' cried Caroline, triumphantly. "'It seems quite clear by now that he didn't get away from here by train. He must simply have walked into Cranchester. And I believe he's there still.' "'No one would dream of his being so near at hand.' "'I pointed out several objections to the theory, "'but when once Caroline has got something firmly into her head, "'nothing dislodges it.' "'And you think Monsieur Poirot has the same idea?' "'said Miss Gannett thoughtfully. "'It's a curious coincidence, "'but I was out for a walk this afternoon on the Cranchester Road, "'and he passed me in a car coming from that direction.' "'We all looked at each other.' "'Why, dear me,' said Miss Gannett suddenly, "'I'm Mahjong all the time, and I never noticed it.' Caroline's attention was distracted from her own inventive exercises. She pointed out to Miss Gannett that a hand consisting of mixed suits and too many chows was hardly worth going Mahjong on. Miss Gannett listened imperturbably and collected her counters. "'Yes, dear, I know what you mean,' she said. "'but it rather depends on what kind of a hand you have to start with, doesn't it?' "'You'll never get big hands if you don't go for them,' urged Caroline. "'Well, we all must play our own way, mustn't we?' said Miss Gannett. "'She looked down at her counters. "'After all, I'm up, so far.' "'Caroline, who was considerably down, said nothing. "'East wind passed, and we set to once more.' Annie brought in the tea-things. Caroline and Miss Gannett were both slightly ruffled, as is often the case during one of these festive evenings. "'If you would only play a little quicker, dear,' said Caroline, as Miss Gannett hesitated over her discard. "'The Chinese put down the tiles so quickly, it sounds like little birds pattering.' For some few minutes, we played like the Chinese. "'You haven't contributed much to the sum of information, Shepard.' "'said Colonel Carter genially. "'You're a sly dog, hand in glove with the great detective, "'and not a hint as to the way things are going.' "'James is an extraordinary creature,' said Caroline. "'He cannot bring himself to part with information.' "'She looked at me with some disfavor. "'I assure you,' I said, "'that I don't know anything. "'Poirot keeps his own counsel.' "'Wise man!' "'said the colonel, with a chuckle. "'He doesn't give himself away. "'But they're wonderful fellows, those foreign detectives, "'up to all sorts of dodges, I believe.' "'Pung!' said Miss Gannett, "'in a tone of quiet triumph. "'And Mahjong!' "'The situation became more strained. "'It was annoyance at Miss Gannett's going Mahjong "'for the third time running, "'which prompted Caroline to say to me, "'as we built a fresh wall, "'You are too tiresome, James.' "'You sit there like a deadhead and say nothing at all.' "'But, my dear,' I protested, "'I've really nothing to say, that is, of the kind you mean.' "'Nonsense,' said Caroline, as she sorted her hand. "'You must know something interesting.' "'I did not answer for a moment. "'I was overwhelmed and intoxicated. "'I had read of there being such a thing as the perfect winning.' 
join Mahjong on one's original hand. I had never hoped to hold the hand myself. With suppressed triumph, I laid my hand face upwards on the table. As they say in the Shanghai Club, I remarked, Tin Ho! The perfect winning! The colonel's eyes nearly bulged out of his head. Upon my soul, he said, what an extraordinary thing! I never saw that happen before. It was then that I went on, goaded by Caroline's jibes, and rendered reckless by my triumph. And as to anything interesting, I said, what about a gold wedding ring with a date and from R inside? I pass over the scene that followed. I was made to say exactly where this treasure was found. I was made to reveal the date. March 13th, said Caroline, just six months ago. Ah! Out of the babble of excited suggestions and suppositions, three theories were evolved. One, that of Colonel Carter, that Ralph was secretly married to Flora. The first or most simple solution. That of Miss Gannett, that Roger Ackroyd had been secretly married to Mrs. Ferrars. And three, that of my sister, that Roger Ackroyd had married his housekeeper, Miss Russell. A fourth or super theory was propounded by Caroline later, as we went up to bed. Mark my words, she said suddenly. I shouldn't be at all surprised if Geoffrey Raymond and Flora weren't married. Surely it would be from G, not from R, then, I suggested. You never know. Some girls call men by their surnames. And you heard what Miss Gannett said this evening about Flora's carryings on. Strictly speaking, I had not heard Miss Gannett say anything of the kind, but I respected Caroline's knowledge of innuendo. How about Hector Blunt? I hinted. If it's anybody. Nonsense, said Caroline. I dare say he admires her, may even be in love with her. But depend upon it, a girl isn't going to fall in love with a man old enough to be her father when there's a good-looking young secretary about. She may encourage Major Blunt just as a blind. Girls are very artful. But there's one thing I do tell you, James Shepard. Flora Ackroyd does not care a penny-piece for Ralph Patone. It never has. You can take it from me. I took it from her, meekly. Thanks for joining us for these two chapters of The Murder of Roger Ackroyd by Agatha Christie. We have a few recent reviews we'd like to share with you, and here they are. Variety of Great Literature Narrated 1001 Stories for the Road 5 Stars I like this podcast due to the variety of literature narrated and provided in short sections I can listen to while cleaning or commuting. From science fiction to historical fiction to classic mysteries, the narrator gives a variety of stories. He also gives a little summary of the previous action for longer titles to help listeners. Very thoughtful. It's also a very kid-friendly selection with no sex, drugs, or gratuitous violence. That one from Katie Girl, Apple Podcast, U.S. That one from Katie Girl, Apple Podcast, U.S. Thank you, Katie Girl. And the next one, big fan of 1001 Stories for the Road, five stars. I'm a big fan of all the 1001 Stories podcast, especially the long multiple episode books. I especially like the Stories for the Road. Great variety and fun way to listen to and learn about things I wouldn't normally have thought to listen to. Keep up the great work. 
That one from CAJSA, Apple Podcast, U.S. Thank you so much for taking the time to send us these reviews. They are very much appreciated, and I'm humbled to receive them from you. Thank you. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn. This is 1001 Stories for the Road. We'll be back next Sunday at around noon. It used to be 5 o'clock, but we've moved most of our releases back to noon on Sundays to give our listeners a little bit more of the weekend to enjoy our shows. Until next Sunday, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.